to the Exam Study Expert Podcast, helping you hit the grades of your dreams at school, college, and university through the science of fast learning and lasting memory, the psychology of study productivity, and the secrets to great exam technique. And now your host, the Cambridge University trained psychologist who's dedicated his life to helping students study better and outsmart their exams, William Wadsworth. Most of the time on the Exam Study Expert podcast, we're talking about techniques to learn, study for and take written exams. This week is a bit different because my guest is Professor David Rowlands, who's Director of Music at Christ's College in Cambridge and also Music Professor at the Open University, one of the world's largest online-only universities. We're going to be talking about music, not just the academic side of music, so answering exam questions in written exams, but particularly talking about the practical side of music exams and performance recitals, how to prepare for them, how to practice efficiently, and how to stay on top of exam day nerves to give the best possible performance. As something of an amateur musician myself, it was huge fun to have this conversation and it left me itching to get back to the piano and do some practice. Um, Without further ado, let's dive in. I think you're really going to enjoy it. David, thank you very much and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Perhaps it would be good just to start with a brief introduction uh, from your perspective to how you ended up doing what you do today, both at at Cambridge and at the the Open University and the various, um, various steps that led to that. Yes, okay. Well, well, it's been a, a very varied path. Um, I started playing the piano, I think, when I was probably about six. I can't remember now. And at one stage, I remember just wanting to give up playing the piano, actually. And so my my dad said, um, fine, we'll put you in for an exam, which <laughs> might sound a bit cruel, really, but, but it worked. I, I got interested then because I had something to work for. And um, around about the same sort of time, because I was singing in the church choir, I got really interested in the organ. For some bizarre reason, I think I didn't imagine that my parents would say, OK, you can have organ lessons. But I asked them and uh, they said, yeah, fine. So I, I think I was 10, maybe 11 at the time and um, started having organ lessons. And I just got hooked on the instrument. Uh, I thought it was a fantastic instrument. You know, there's lots to control there, lots to learn, lots to fiddle with. And uh, I just really enjoyed that. I practiced the organ a lot. Uh, I did a diploma in ARCM when I was 17 and got a distinction in that. And around the Congratulations. Same sort of time, oh, thank you. <laughs> around the same sort of time, I applied for an organ scholarship in Cambridge. So I was awarded the organ scholarship at Corpus Christi College. Also, during that time while I was an organ scholar, I got to play regularly for a year in King's, which was the most fantastic experience, uh, all, all the time doing a music degree. Um, when I came to the end of my music degree, I thought, you know, what am I going to do next? And um, I think always I'd thought I'd like to go and do further studies. So I did a PhD, a doctorate, um, after my undergraduate time in Cambridge. So I stayed in Cambridge. And um, I didn't play the organ for a couple of years, actually, when I started my PhD and got really miserable about that. And so I thought, no, I'm going to have to do something. I'm going to have to give myself something to work for. And um, I I don't know whether I was a particularly obsessive sort of individual at that time in life, (laughs) but I I decided the best thing to do would be to go in for an international organ competition. Um, So I did. I went in for the St. Albans competition, um, which was probably one of the three or four major uh, international organ competitions in the world at the time, and um, and I won it. 
which was great. Fantastic. And uh, in 1984, I got the job of director of music at Christ College and carried on doing, that was only part-time, so I carried on being freelance along with that. And then in 1989, I got a lectureship with the Open University, where I've been ever since. So I've, I've held the job as director of music at Christ's and um, have my lectureship at the Open University ever since then, and carried on doing a bit of playing, um, uh, quite a lot of conducting with the choir. I conducted the Welsh National Youth Choir for three years, as well as um, conducting the choir here at Christ College. And, uh, and that's been it, really, uh, more of the same ever since then. Excellent. From from your your experience, um, I guess perhaps on both sides of the of the table, both as a, a performer and as an examiner or, or, or um, auditioner, but you know, sort of gen- generally, what are the things you're you're looking for? What uh, mm-hmm. what makes it what makes for a good performance versus a, a bad one? Um, well, first of all, it depends on whether somebody else has chosen the repertoire that you're going to perform, or whether you are free to choose it yourself. I would say that if you're free to choose it yourself, you need to choose a range of repertoire that shows that you can perform music of different eras. So if, uh, if you were talking about the organ, then an obvious person's music to play is Bach, really, because he's such a staple of the organ repertoire. But you might also want to perform something that's much more recent, some 20th century repertoire uh, as well, to go alongside that. That's just an example. But I think it's important to have a good spread of repertoire so that you can demonstrate that you can handle different styles of music. And then, in terms of how one assesses that, I think there is a sort of baseline of technical competence that needs to be demonstrated in those sort of circumstances. It sounds an obvious thing to say, but you've got to be able to get your fingers and uh, feet, if you're playing the organ, around the music. Now, that sounds an obvious and you know easy thing to do um, but it's not necessarily because it depends on how you prepare now i feel very strongly about this because my own preparation when i started out being an organist um, and a pianist in the earlier days was pretty bad um, i had quite a, an easy technical facility and also i could sight read quite well by which you mean being able to sort of get your fingers around the, uh, around yeah, the notes right. came, came quite yeah, naturally yeah. to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was a sort of natural facility that I had. Um, so my tendency was to leave things to the last minute. And that's just such a bad idea. <laughs> it really is a bad idea. <laughs> uh, I got away with it quite often, but not always. Don't underestimate, I think, the necessity to practice and to practice hard and to practice a long way in advance let's say technical ability first of all you've got to be able to play play the music then i think um you've got to be able to play the music in the right sort of style uh so playing bach or playing mozart is very different from playing uh let's say vienne or vidor if you're an organist or um you know playing brahms or later music if you're a pianist um, you need to have a sense of what's appropriate to play music in that style. Uh, and a very easy illustration would be playing music on the organ. Now, the organ's got a, uh, a range of stops you can pull out, a range of different sounds. And if you were playing Bach on the organ, you would probably want to use the sort of sounds that Bach would have been familiar with, because the music's going to sound a little bit strange if you're using sounds that just aren't what he was familiar with. 
Um, similarly, you know, if you're going to play some uh, flashy piece like you know Vidor Toccata or something like that, you're going to want to use the the full resources of the organ. Um, but you know, in in Paris at the time that piece was written, they had large organs with particular effects on them, swell effects, for example, which you can use, which Bach never had access to. So, so do something that is appropriate to the style of the piece that you're playing. Uh, I think that's very important. And the third thing I think I would say is um, it's nice to play for yourself, but it's also very rewarding to play for an audience. You've got to project your performance. Um, somebody listening to it at a distance of several meters or even right down the other end of a building needs to be able to know that you have um, done something for their benefit. You know, you're, you're projecting mm. the music. So try not to get in too much of a bubble. Try to project a performance so that somebody can really appreciate it. Uh, that might mean by, uh, might mean, for example, um, musical gestures being a bit larger. So, you know, if, if you've got a pause, a uh, simple example, you've got a pause in a piece. You might want to make it a little bit longer than you would if you were playing the piece just for yourself. Or if you're playing something staccato, you know, and you're in a in a room where there is quite a big acoustic, you might have to exaggerate the effect so that the effect actually reaches the person who's listening to you play or people who are listening to you play. So think about the audience. Think about how they're going to listen to what you're playing. I think that's a really important thing. You can only do that by doing it over and over and over again. So I would say take every opportunity to um, to play to an audience, even if, like me, you're a very introverted <laughs> teenager. And, uh, you know, there's nothing I enjoyed more than sitting in an organ loft when the church was locked, playing to myself. That was great. But actually, um, you know, the point of uh, learning to play music is often to play to other people so get loads of experience when i was a student um i was an organ scholar uh, as i mentioned um but also uh, i did help out in king's chapel by playing a couple of times a week and um that as you might imagine is a fairly intense experience because you're acutely aware of the fact that that building and the music that goes on it is known around the world and um, it has to be right. You have to get it right. So technical ability, musical style, practicing, performing for others makes sense. As musicians, what can we do to prepare for the performance and any thoughts on practice technique? Preparation is just so important. Um, so preparing in good time, preparing carefully. Now, there are a few tricks that I invented for myself and nobody taught me this and it may be that they're best for me and that something else is different for you but um, one thing I did was in order to determine that I was going to get it right all of the notes right I would say to myself right you've got to play this passage five times and if you get it right you can knock that off so after the first playing if it was right I'd have to play it four more times if I got something wrong I would say okay I'm going to have to add two more so if I got it wrong first time, um, I'd have to play seven times. I did actually mark it off on a piece of paper. That I think that kind of technique uh, makes you do things very, very carefully. So if it meant, for example, slowing down slightly so that I could guarantee that I was going to get it right, 
And I wasn't satisfied with myself until I had got to the end of my number of playings and ticked them all off. And I, I mentioned slow practice. Uh, there's a great story about Rachmaninoff, actually, that I, I read when I was a student that said that somebody was um, going to knock on the door of his house and they heard somebody playing the piano and this person was playing about one note per second, incredibly, incredibly slowly. And he thought, oh, well, this must be, uh, you know, did somebody who's a pupil? Is he taking on children? Is he teaching children? Anyway, this person knocked on the door and it turned out that it was Rachmaninoff himself playing really, really slowly. And it, it, actually, um, a test for anyone who plays an instrument is to play very slowly and to watch your hands to see if you actually know what they're doing. <laughs> it, it sounds stupid, but... Um, if you do watch your hands, you'd be surprised at how little you know of what your hands are actually doing. There are lots of little movements that are perhaps unconscious. Once you know them, once you know what you're doing, I think um, it, it makes you much more prepared um, to play. And the other thing that springs to mind, something that I learnt uh, actually when I was preparing for the St. Albans International Competition, because I was practicing a lot. I was playing about four hours a day in the lead up to that. But I also discovered that going for a walk was almost as valuable as sitting down at the instrument itself. Going for a walk and um, trying to imagine what I wanted from the performance was a really, really good exercise. And I remember on the morning of the first round of the competition, I just went for a walk in the field and um, just thought through all of my pieces. So the physicality of walking was probably helping a bit with the nerves and the anxiety. What was going on in your mind to help you prepare for the pressure of performance? Well, sports people would call it visualisation. Uh, and maybe musicians should too. But I've um, become really... Um, really struck by how important that is and this applies not just to play music i would say but mm. also when i go and give conference papers and so on um i find it really important if i can to get into the room where i'm going to um, play or speak and to be able to without, without an audience at this stage just to get into the room and to imagine what it's going to be like to be standing yeah. there and speaking you know, I will go up to the lectern and I will just look around the hall and I will imagine what it's going to be like. Or I'll, if I'm playing, I will go and sit in the instrument and try and imagine what it's going to be like. And I think one of the reasons, if you're a musician, why that is so important is because uh, I have had a sort of alternative experience, which is to get to a venue a bit late and then to rush onto stage and start playing. Now, the trouble is with that is that if you get nervous just as you're going on stage, you quite often lost it. Really, it's not a nice experience um, to be nervous just as you go on. Much better to have the nerves well in advance, to imagine having the nerves, and then you can go on stage confidently. And that does make a huge difference, I think. So you almost sort of think through the, the nerves in advance and get all yeah. that out of the way. And then by the time you get into the yeah. uh, performance itself, you've, you've perhaps thought it through and, and dealt with it. Yes, yes, that's right. You're much more in control. And actually, there's one other thing that, um, that, I, that I might mention, which is a mental thing rather than a practice physical thing, 
which is what your attitude is to the audience. And this actually could be extended to say, what is your attitude to the examiner in a room when you're playing? Um, I think it struck me quite early on um, that if I was going to play in a concert or in some other context, the audience there really wanted me to do the best I could. Again, it's another silly thing, but I think that some people, when they're practicing, imagine there's going to be an audience there that's going to want you to fail, going to want you to trip up over something. That's not the way people work. When you go on stage or when you go into an exam, people want you to do your best. And uh, you know, they're sitting waiting for you to play. You are the focus of attention. They want to hear you. That's a really important thing to realize, I think. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. I think that applies to any exam situation. People often think of the examiner as the as the enemy and they're out to trip them up. I mean, a lot of the time, even if they've got a huge stack of exam papers to mark, I think examiners are, are actively looking to find you the marks that you, you deserve and they're, they're excited for you when you do score well. And it's more fun for them, I think, to, to come across good performance than, than bad and they take pleasure from your success. Yes, Absolutely. And you use the word pleasure there. I, I think it really is. You know, for somebody who's taught at university for many years and, um, and who directed the choir for many years, it is a fantastic pleasure to see students doing well and um, you know, learning mm. to do better. It, it is just fantastic, I think. I, when I um, work with singers, for example, I tend to give them very, very short very insignificant solos mm. to begin with, you know, and over a period of three years, um, very often their voices will develop. So I gradually give them more prominent solos, get them to sing solos, perhaps in concerts where there's a bigger audience and so on. And it's a real pleasure to see voices develop like that. Um, I'm, I'm certainly not a, a choral conductor who's looking for people to fail. I'm not sure that any <laughs> choral conductor would, would think that, actually, no. <laughs> but... Um, but no, it does. It does give real pleasure to see people developing. That's it's really good. Uh, we've been talking about performance anxiety, I guess, in terms of conquering that and and being in a place to to steady your nerves and give it your best mm. shot on the day. It sounds like there's practicing performing for others and getting used to that feeling. There's practicing visualizing what that performance is going to be like. Uh, ideally, I guess, as you were saying if you can get into the environment you're going to be in um, for that recital or that exam, that's perhaps best of all. I guess, for example, yeah. if you've got, uh, you know, perhaps a language oral exam, you might be able to find out what classroom that those exams are going to be held in and just find a quiet moment in there by yourself just to get a feel for that, uh, what that, what that exam condition might be like. Yeah. Find out what is going to happen exactly. Mm. So if you walk into an exam room, you know, do you, bring your own pen, what, what else might you be allowed to take into the exam room? If you go into an oral exam of some sort, uh, find out what the questions are going to be roughly. Obviously, nobody's going to tell you exactly what the questions yeah. are going to be, but I find this um, surprising, for example, because I interview quite a lot of people for admission to Cambridge, and um, I'm very happy to tell students in advance roughly what the format of the interview is right. going to be. You know, I'll tell them, for example, I'd like you to do a bit of harmonization on the spot. You know, I'll give them a piece of manuscript paper and uh, ask them to, to do something on it or a little bit of an oral test or um, ask them about what interests them in music. I think most people who are going to um, examine you in some sort of way 
will be quite happy to say what the format of the thing is so that you don't go in and get surprised by something. Thinking back to my own experience, applying for applying for university, applying for college, I read all sorts of things about what I could expect at an interview at Cambridge, and these some of the crazy mm. stories I think sometimes come out, you know, on the internet, to, totally not representative of what you might actually expect. <laughs> yes, and I, I think there's an important issue there um, emerging in our conversation, which is that you want to minimise the surprises. Yeah. When you're going into an interview or um, an exam or a concert or whatever, you you need to have done your homework as well as you possibly can so that you know what's going to happen because there's nothing worse than suddenly being thrown off guard by something you didn't mm. expect. No, for sure. I mean, we've talked a little bit about uh, preparation in advance and I, I guess also the preparation you can do on the day in terms of going for a walk and, and doing that visualisation. Is there anything else, mm. uh, perhaps maybe even in the in the recital itself, that you can do to, to help steady your, yourself um, if you are starting to feel anxious? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, first thing to say would be don't rush into anything. You know, you, you've got time, you've always got time to get to the instrument, um, to sit down, to breathe. Now, now breathing is a really important thing, um, not just for singers or wind instrument players, but for every every performer. Take time to do that. And in fact, in um, more recent years, I've become more and more convinced of the fact to be physically a bit fit. Right, actually. interesting. Uh, it helps. It really helps you to be able to regulate your breathing a bit. So um, you know, take a little bit of time. Make sure that you're comfortable as well. Um, is, you know, if you're a keyboard player, is the piano stool right in the right place? Is it slightly uncomfortable? Is it too low? Is it too high? Don't feel you've got to rush those sort of things. Just make sure that you're comfortable. Um, I suppose, actually, make sure that the clothing you're wearing is comfortable as well. It's amazing what can distract you when you're um, performing. You know, if you've got a... Um, I remember doing this uh, myself. This is, this is a thing not to do. I was playing the Goldberg Variations on a harpsichord, uh, Goldberg Variations by Bach, and what they do is they often involve hand-crossing in the course of the piece. Now... I um, practiced those in my usual casual clothing, and that was fine. Then for a concert, I put on a jacket that was a little bit tight. Right. <laughs> and you can imagine as you, as you stretch to try and cross your hands over each other, you know, it just felt really uncomfortable. So then you start thinking about the un- uncomfortable nature of your jacket, yeah. not the music. Um, all of these little things can distract. So the more you can do to get rid of them, the better. Some people don't like to look at an audience, going back to the concert thing, but but I always enjoyed knowing who the audience was. Just take a little bit of time to to look at them and uh, you know, to know where they are. Um, that all helps, will help me anyway. I don't know if it helps everyone. So I think those are important preparatory things. And during the um, concert itself, while you're playing, my goodness, your mind can wander. Um, it really can. You know, if you suddenly get a little bit of a stomach rumble, you think, oh, what am I going to have for lunch? Or somebody coughs in the audience, you know, I wonder who that was. And you might want to look at the audience to try and find out. Um, there are loads to distract you. So I think uh, you, you just need to tell yourself, I've got to concentrate on the work in hand. And how can I convey this piece of music? 
to the audience? What do I really want them to hear? You know, the more focused you can be on that, the better. But it's not easy. Um, you know, my mind is always going all over the place. And uh, it's, it's a real discipline to try and um, make sure that you do concentrate on what you're doing. And that's why doing it over and over and over again is important. Um, before an exam, you might want to get parents or friends together and say, can I just play this piece to you? Because, you know, you, you need to experience what it's like to play a piece of music to other people. Practicing wearing the jacket you're going to be wearing on the day as well. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes. Yes. It sounds obsessive, but all these little things can make a difference. You know, people in sport talk about the, the, the little 1% that yeah. makes a difference between success and failure. It's true in music. Walk around a high school sports pitch on a, on a Friday, you might be hearing music blaring, just trying to get players in that mindset of what it's going to be like on, on match day, on, on the Saturday, and all the things that will be going on, going on around them yeah. and, and get them used to, to performing at their best in, in that environment. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's been a lot of really helpful um, uh, tips and advice there for, for handling the, the recital mm-hmm. and the, the performance and environment, um, as well as perhaps the, the, the sort of performing under pressure that we all go through, regardless of what subject the exam is where we're sitting. Just a few closing thoughts on, on studying music. F- from, from your experiences as a, as a university professor in, in music, any general advice uh, beyond the recital based on what strong students do, particularly? well um, I guess in things like the the essays and the the, the dissertations yes I think uh, with essays and dissertations the first thing is to come up with a real question I mean with an essay you'd probably be given a question with a dissertation you've got to invent your own Um, you've got to know what it really is that you're answering and that's uh, it sounds an obvious thing but I've heard so many teachers say about uh, exams, oh, make sure you answer the question. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it is just so important. But if, you, if you've got a dissertation, um, you know, equally, it's important to know what the question is that you're trying to answer. Because if you don't know what the question is you're trying to answer, you're just going to waffle. You're not going to be very focused. So I think that is absolutely the first thing to do. The second thing is, possibly to read a little bit more widely, if possible, than you think you need to do. Um, I had a PhD student once who was researching, I I, I can't really tell you um, exactly what he was researching because that would identify him, but he was was researching something in a particular city and uh, he would do his searches on the internet for references particularly to that city and music in that city. And um, myself and another supervisor kept saying to him, no, you've got to read a little bit more widely than that. You've got to know what the background is to the sort of issues that you're discussing. So it's tempting to think you can go the shortcut route and just try to um, know just enough in order to answer a single question. But actually, if you develop a sort of wider sense of, and in the case of music, uh, I would say you know, develop a wider sense of the culture and the history of the time. You can do it so easily these days. I mean, a lot of academics will say, oh, Wikipedia is a terrible thing, but actually it's extremely useful. So, you know, if, if you were working on music in the time of, oh, I don't know, let's say Beethoven, 
It would be quite important to know a little bit about the French Revolution, actually. Mm. And honestly, 10 minutes reading on Wikipedia, and you'll know quite a bit about yeah. the French Revolution. So re read, read more widely so that nothing really comes as a big surprise. And after all, people who write books and people who write chapters and articles on subjects have usually done that sort of wider reading, and they will throw in references that you might just not know about otherwise. It's worth pursuing a bit of that. I know it takes time and it's drag, but uh, I think that it is definitely worth doing. Um, a lot of people, uh, in my experience these days, don't write mm. very well. And uh, that's to say, you know, they, they don't really know how to write sentences. They don't know how to develop an argument. Now, there's a certain amount that we as teachers can do um, to help people uh, learn how to do that. But also, there are, I think, quite a lot of peer groups around these days in any institution who will uh, read other people's work. And, uh, you know, there, there was somebody recently who did a PhD, actually, at the Open University, and um, she got involved with a number of other research students, and they each read sample chapters of each other's work just to see if it made sense. Um, because it's not easy. Um, well, the one thing that helped me most of all when I first started working with the Open University was learning how to write radio scripts. Right. Actually, you, you <laughs> I would never have thought it. But um, what, what that does is that you can't really refer back very easily and you can't refer forward. One sentence just has to make sense after the previous sentence that you've spoken. And um, that that's in itself actually quite a discipline, quite an art, to make sure that one sentence follows on to the next sentence. So structure um, then also becomes important because uh, you know one thing flows on to another. You've got to have you've got to deal with one thing and then you've got to move on to the next thing. And then the next thing. You've got to make sure that um, the argument flows from one thing to another, um, not just sort of random comments and then move on to the next random comment. Organize the structure carefully. And all that takes quite a lot of careful preparatory work. In exam circumstances, um, where you've got to produce an essay, it's much better to pause and look at the question and then look at the question again and then look yeah. at it a third time and then plan what you're going to say. Um, there are some people who feel like if they don't just get down to write immediately and quickly, they're not going to get enough down on the page. Much better to spend, you know, even five minutes. If you've got to write for 45 minutes or something like that, spend the first five minutes thinking about it. I'm a huge advocate of that approach. I was very lazy about planning in exams for, for years. Uh, I think really until my uh, third year at, at university, I had pretty, pretty, pretty brutal coaching that I really should be planning for a, for a good long time uh, in, a, in an exam, as you as you say. And actually, I, I often go a step further and plan all my essays for the whole exam. So if I've got three essays uh, to cover in an exam, say I'll spend maybe the first half hour of a three hour exam uh, planning those out, um, 10, 10 or even 15 minutes per per essay. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a terrifying thing to do because you might end up 30, even 45 minutes into an exam not having written a single word of your essay um, and the person next to you might have nearly finished their yeah. first one. But I mean, the critical thing is that you're not judged on how much you write. You're judged on um, how much exactly. sense it makes. And quite often a shorter 
well-structured, well-argued essay is going to get you more marks. For sure. Good. All right. Um, well, look, thank you. That's been an uh, extremely helpful conversation. I think there's been some fantastic advice for not just music students, but uh, students of all uh, of all disciplines. Um, that's, that's that's very relevant to us all. So, so thank you, uh, thank you for that. I always wrap up by asking my, my my guests if they have if they had the ability to to step back in time, meet their sixteen uh, or seventeen year old self, and give them some advice. What would you say to 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 him? Yeah, what what I would say is just be a bit more careful. Um, I think I mentioned that I I had this ability to, you know, I had a good technique. My my fingers worked well, but I never really polished performances as much as I should have done, and I should have learned that at an earlier stage. I think I'd I'd have got further perhaps sooner than I did. Mm. Um, the, the other thing, uh, I don't know if I'd say it to my 16-year-old self or not, really, is um, make, make up your mind what you want to do. I've I've lived my life, um, I'm nearly 62 now, I live my life uh, enjoying performing immensely and doing it at a high level. I've also enjoyed being an academic and, uh, and doing that fairly successfully. When I look back, I think maybe I should just have done one of those things better <laughs> rather than trying to do both of them but that's a big conundrum i think i probably um would say to my 16 year old self just work out what it is you really want to do <laughs> whether i'd have come sure. up with the answer i cannot imagine tough tough questions yeah. tough questions yeah. <laughs> fantastic um well look thank you once again I, I feel it's been a been a really really helpful conversation for for people and uh, very grateful for you giving up the time if people ever wanted to to find you is is there a place they could look up more of, of uh, well, what what you're about or, or even get in touch yes um i think either the Christ College Cambridge website, where there's a page for the choir, uh, or the Open University, both places. Uh, I'm entirely happy to have emails from people. Fantastic. Well, it's appreciated. Um, thank you very much. Okay, well, I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Good fun. And thanks again, David. Helpful links and notes are available for this episode at examstudyexpert.com forward slash David. If this is your first time joining us on the Exam Study Expert, a very warm welcome. We've been publishing weekly for a couple of months now and are rapidly building a fascinating collection of episodes to help prepare you for success in exams of all kinds, upgrading your tool belt of study and exam skills in every area, from efficient memorisation to positive mindset. There's lots more to come, of course, so please do subscribe so you don't miss out on any future hints or tips, which could make all the difference when it comes to hitting the grades of your dreams. Hope to see you next time when we'll be talking languages with Joe Heiner. Until then, very best of luck with your studies. And if you have exams this week, remember, it's only an exam. Good luck. Thanks for listening to the Exam Study Expert Podcast. Remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And please take a moment to write a review for our show in your podcast player.